and the idea that we should be practicing this thing called self-care in order to mitigate the effects of our work puts the onus on the helping professional. So the system doesn't have to change at all. Welcome to Therapist Expanded, where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us, because we'll only take them as far as we've gone. So join me, your host, Aaron Gibb, and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential. Hello, revolutionaries. Thank you for listening. And if you're a repeat listener, really appreciate it. And if this is your first time, I really hope you enjoy. This is a packed episode like the first one was with Megan Van Meter. And if you haven't listened to that episode, that is the episode right before this one. It's part one. I could not fit everything that Megan and I talked about in one episode in a way that I felt would be really impactful. So I recommend going back and listening to that. And I'll give the same kind of message I did for that. Some of this is not easy to hear in the field. It isn't that it's a trigger warning. It's that it's sort of looking at the underpinnings of what isn't working in our field. And to me, that message has a lot of hope, though. And so I'll say what I did in the last one, which is that if you come with an open mind and an open heart, you may find that even if some part of you isn't wanting to hear this, that uh, you get the chance to look at things differently and maybe let yourself off the hook a bit for some things you might be blaming you for that are actually much bigger and more systemic. And what you can do about that, because we don't need to change the system at the system level. All we need to do is live our dreams fully and freely in one way or another. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And like always, I'm going to mention my Monday Mindups email list, because if you've got goals, dreams, and they're getting derailed by stuff, you know the stuff, then I recommend you join. It's free and I don't blow up your inbox. Just once a week, I send you a mindset shifting message. So you can find that in the show notes. And without further ado, here is part two and my episode with Megan Van Meter. And that is the crux of the issue is so many helping professionals are pursuing the life they've sort of been conditioned to believe they want. And silently, they feel ashamed for not being fulfilled. Absolutely. The promise was they should be, that it would come. And that shame piece, when I think about the the stages of change for therapists, really, to realize, oh, it's not me, it's the system, and I need to do something in myself to change this. The first stage before that, though, is sort of that it's it's not them, it's me. And that shame, that leads me to ask about your second amazing thing you added into the email that was a mic drop, which is unmasking the self-care unicorn for the systemic oppression tool it is. Can you say something about that? Definitely. If self-care were so important, it would be defined. We would know exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, how much to do it, how often to do it. 
but we are left to vaguely figure it out. If you get to the the bottom of it, self-care is really what everyone is supposed to be doing, eating decent meals, healthy food, surrounding yourself with healthy people, saying goodbye to the unhealthy people, you know, getting enough sleep, making sure that when you have a physical ailment, you make an appointment to go to a healthcare specialist to deal with that. It's keeping the system running. That is what self-care is. And we're all supposed to be doing that anyhow. So that's baseline. That's baseline functioning. So let's say you have a heavy caseload. Half the people are dealing with intense acute trauma. This stuff is living inside you. You can't get away from it because there's too much of it. And you're supposed to eat well and hang out with healthy people. And somehow it'll all be good. It doesn't work like that. We have to go beyond self-care. And I've friend and colleague of mine, Lisa Hines, actually wrote a book called Beyond Self-Care for Helping Professionals. And she introduces people to, it's a a version of the pan-theoretical model we were both trained in at the University of Louisville. And she took it and twisted it away from art therapy or the expressive therapies and toward, no, this is what the dimensions of information processing. You So you've got movement, you've got sensation, you have routine and pattern. That would be the perceptual information processing I talked about. You have um, emotion, you have intellect, and you have symbolism, which is about insight, your inner guide, intuition, spirituality, and then creativity is kind of the thing that can pull them together. So she takes people on a journey in this book, how to go beyond self-care so that you can really, you know, the, the bottom line of the equation is changing the input will change the output. So if you're a, I'll take a bubble bath and somehow all my work-related traumas and exhaustion will go away. Well, that's sensory. You know, by the fifth bubble bath, it has less and less of an effect on you. Because you are habituating. And so without proper training and a framework for what does it mean to take care of oneself, people just default to what they've figured out. It's sort of like people who don't cook all that well keep making the same macaroni and cheese. And then they don't like how it tastes because they're too used to it. It's the same thing when we're supposedly engaging in self-care, but we keep falling back to the same stuff. We're going to habituate. It's not going to work. We will fall into despair then. And the idea that we should be practicing this thing called self-care in order to mitigate the effects of our work puts the onus on the helping professional. So the system doesn't have to change at all. Absolutely. The broken system that is flooding with all these problems does not have to adjust. It is this all these different ways that it's been internalized self-blame is is so commonly where people are i mean there's also a denial where people are uh of that this isn't affecting them they're fine if they just do this and it's okay the system's not broken but once people start to actually feel their suffering in this there's there's this level of self-blame yeah the systemic oppression really it's dressed up i see it as like a pagan lipstick spouting self-care. So I love what you've been saying here. And I think about how 
habituation is the cause of so many issues for human beings. I mean, it's wonderful if you're talking about you remember to brush your teeth every day. Awesome. That's what it was designed for. But when we are going through life in this place of repeating the same thing every day, we lose a sense of time, right? People often misunderstand why. Why does time speed up, air quotes, when we age? It's not that. It's we're not having enough novel experiences for the brain to even give a crap and form new memories. And that feels like time. But there's another reason you're giving here about not habituating with our life. Also, when we do new things, we actually make new stem cells. New stem cells can form new genes. New genes can mean a whole new life expression. The end of dis-ease. New stem cells. To me, I I think about that in life now. Like I'm going to take a new route home because I want new stem cells. And I want to feel the passage of time slow down. And I want to get out of dopamine dominance that always says more and get into the moment. There's just so much to be said about the oppression you're talking about, as well as the starting to live a life that's actually on purpose. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with what I am offering to people is, you know, people have very narrow definitions of creativity here in North America. Um, you know, oh, I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. Well, that has nothing to do with it. You know, creativity is is so much more. And it's like you said, there is an element of novelty to it, dealing with the unfamiliar or dealing with the familiar in an unfamiliar way. That's the path that I'm offering. It is the antidote to burnout because burnout is robo life, autopilot. Everything is the same. It's gray. Life is just a grayscale experience. Even your feelings are you know, kind of muted. Um, and if they, you, if you can feel them, they're sort of angry feelings or panicky feelings um, or sad feelings. And these are not pathways to creating anything new within the human system. <laughs> so we certainly can't create other options for ourselves. We can't create better outcomes for ourselves when we are doing the same old, same old and expecting that somehow we'll get different results. Beautiful. Well, I'd love to hear a couple more questions and come back in the end to what you do, because I, I really want to hear more about how people can find you in the when we're done and what you do, because you're speaking to health professionals right now. And, you know, they could probably use some assistance, even just to understand more of, of your beautiful... Hmm, I want to say philosophy, but knowing your wisdom, I think, is what's coming forward. How does that sound? That sounds good. Okay. So the question I have for you is, what does mental health revolution mean to you? Mental health revolution, to me, would be happening at the individual level, but in enough juxtaposition with other people who are going through a revolution at the individual level, that there starts to be a sea change within the profession of mental health. Like you have pointed out, Erin, when the healers are well, we can make other people absorb, you know, we're we're constantly absorbing each other. We're going to help our clients absorb wellness and set themselves to those well standards. So I think a mental health revolution is definitely what's needed in our profession. 
therapists learning how to recognize their own needs and feel no shame for having their own needs, feel no shame for seeking ways to have those needs met, challenging the messaging that they have been on the receiving end of for most of their lives, and consciously making other choices. Again, dealing with the unfamiliar or dealing with the familiar in unfamiliar ways. And when that starts to become normalized, when that starts to become what you see offered out there in our continuing education, which I tried to do for people about 10 years ago, it did not go well. No one was hungry for that. They wanted techniques. So when we can get over the fact that what we're doing is not working, we can choose something else and it's there for us and it's going to have an impact on the world around us. So a mental health revolution isn't just the individual level and it's not just within the profession at that level. It's actually something that can expand to a much greater pool of people. Thank you. So another question, and it's kind of a two-sided coin. And it's really because people listening, I believe, benefit again from seeing that you having done something that was difficult that you maybe thought wasn't possible because we, the conditioning does that. It tells us things aren't possible. So can you tell us about a time where you realized you held yourself back from a dream or a desire and other side of that coin would be a time you really went for it, felt like you took a risk in service to a dream or a desire? It's probably the same story. <laughs> the two questions are all about the same story. In 2003, I got the private practice bug. And I decided I'm going to do this because the agency and institution stuff just was not feeding me in any way, shape or form. And I was not being utilized appropriately. You know, I was sort of being utilized as a, like more in activities kind of professional or a recreation therapist professional, which I'm not either of those and I can't impersonate them. Well, I can, but I can do it, you know, poorly and talk about imposter syndrome. <laughs> so I wasn't being utilized as a psychotherapist because people didn't understand at the time that art therapy is psychotherapy. And I wanted out. I wanted to have I had this wonderful supervisor for my postmaster's hours in art therapy who was in private practice with this lovely yard that is a, a garden that appears in San Diego Home and Garden magazine. Like, and her practice is there in her garden. Like, I want this kind of a life, this robust, you know, everything just so nurturing and nourishing and people seeking her out because she's an art therapist. So I decided. I want that life. I took some business courses that were offered um, for expressive therapists. So it wasn't like university semester long. I got nice individualized attention. And I realized, I think I would hate private practice. I'd be stuck with the same four walls. And the only thing that would change all day long are the faces in front of me. And they would all be coming to me with problems. and. I'm a projecty person. I like to work on many different things and develop and create. So the idea of just sitting in a box, I just couldn't, like, I, I think I would sabotage 
a private practice because I would be so bored and unfulfilled. So I didn't pursue it any further. I thought, great, these business courses were a great investment because they stopped me from doing something that I was probably going to be miserable in. So that meant suck it up and do the agency work. So I did. But all the while, being very envious of people in private practice (laughs) who seem to be doing well. And I realized that's an illusion that we put on for each other, the illusion that we're all doing well. I think most private practitioners probably aren't. And it has a lot to do with much of what we've already talked about today. But I believed they were doing well. They weren't stuck in an institution or an agency and they could make their own schedules and develop their own practices to reflect them and what they have to offer. So just this love-hate relationship with private practitioners and the, the little business I set up in 2010 to offer art-based continuing education to therapists to help them learn about the person of the self and or the person of the helping professional, the person of the therapist, and how even their style is an expression. Like, let's get it out of your imagination and put it out here on the table and work with it. What is? What do we need to recreate? What do we need to create differently? Like literally with our hands, let's invoke somatosensory processing and visual perception and do this the embodied way. But people weren't interested. So, and those that was largely catering to private practitioners because I was not offering things that an agency would send therapists to. So that business did not go very far. So I just, you know, didn't, I wasn't in private practice. And finally, in the latter half of 2020, with the pandemic, and I'm hearing reports of all therapists are on fire now, they're going down in flames because they're overworking and taking on an unrealistic amount of people and slashing their fees and doing all sorts of unhealthy, self-sacrificial things. Not self stuff. Yeah. And physicians, nurses, all the helping professionals just sort of falling into the their own graves. So I thought, I think this is my time. I'd been teaching um, at, at a university and had to do that online. And I was an online client. I had therapy and it was all online. And I thought, well, I can, I can do this. I can go online. I'm kind of tech avoidant, but I decided, okay, I guess I'll do it. In 2021, I opened my private practice. And that's not to say it's, you know, going gangbusters or anything like that. I'm still in the, you know, heavy pushing phase, but I did it. And it's something that I had been thinking of since 2003 and was always there on my mind. And, you know, it's still on my mind (laughs) because now it's here and I have to do something with it. So I guess that's my story of deferring a dream and then taking the risk of finally going for it. And it's kind of a to be continued sort of thing. Well, our purpose and passion is a to be continued. It keeps flourishing and growing. And I, I really am appreciative of you sharing that. And I have a question. Mm-hmm. How did you conceptualize it so that you could feel, if you have, like you're not trapped in four walls? Well, currently, what I'm doing is I'm renting office space from my sister. <laughs> At her home, she works from home also. She's not a therapist. 
So there's built-in humanity here. Um, and I'm not renting an office space. That's what I had envisioned with those four walls was um, just renting a box. You know, therapists starting out are not in the fanciest of places. So renting some box somewhere just sounded so horrible to me. Think of the perceptual cues that you pick up through the world around you. Like, I don't want my inside to look like a box. So it's been very helpful. Um, I have joined my own coaching program, um, which has so taught me that no, 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 no. It is not about sitting and seeing clients all day. If what fuels your passion is the projects and the pursuits and the creativity, that has to be part of what you're doing, or you will be an unfulfilled therapist and you will have an, un- then you will have a practice that fails. Bingo. That right there. If people need the motivation to start living their purpose as they feel it, see it, dream it, it's that it magnetizes to you the life you want and the shoulds and the musts and the like, hear a raspberry sound in your mind, whatever, that living in self-sacrifice repels the life you want. It will not be the root. It can't. It doesn't align. Even on a physics level. You cannot put out one vibration and attract another. It just doesn't work like that. True. And those those voices that come up, the I can'ts, I shouldn't, you know, this won't work, all of this, the harder those messages come at you, I've learned that's a sign that you're about to break through a limitation. And so when it comes to you really easily, there wasn't a limitation in the first place. But when there is this big internal struggle and everything is so hard and stacked against you and defeat seems inevitable, that is a time for you to lean in rather than lean away. Easier said than done. Yeah. But that's where your breakthroughs are going to happen when those voices start trying to call you back to safety. Absolutely. I've seen it both internally and externally. When I left my government job, the golden handcuffs job in the Northwest Territories, the government jobs for therapists pay a lot of money and have a huge pension and have all these perks because it's it's not an easy job. It's not an easy place. They want to keep you. And so when I was leaving that, I remember the external voices telling me like, that's crazy. You're just going to move across the country with a U-Haul, your cat, your kid, your husband with no job, no business built, no nothing. And I thought at first I felt a little bit of fear. And then I thought, this is perfect. The fact that people are balking means I'm going in the right direction. The fact that the inner voice is balking means I'm actually moving away from the conditioning. It's the, it's telling me the evidence. Was it easy? No. Was I scared? Yeah, absolutely. At times I was scared and still continue to be as I keep pushing myself to up level my existence in life, follow my purpose. Yeah, but I am with you. It is a sign that you're going in the, in the correct direction for you. If you want to look at that binary of correct and incorrect, you're moving towards growth. Yeah, and befriending them is like, oh, thank you. You're helping me to realize. Thank you, not self. You're helping me to realize that uh, I am going in the right direction. And, uh, it's, you know, self-compassion can really help there. 
of seeing those belligerent voices as really scared kids who just know the conditioning. That's all they know. Yeah. yeah. You're going to break the pattern and the routine and then what? You're going to die. <laughs> yeah. And really, you're going to fly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you have to learn how to use the wings first. And that's not going to happen if you don't ever acknowledge that they're there. Yeah, that reminds me of an actual butterfly of that. Perhaps it's part of the initiatory process is noticing the struggle to then spread those wings because you can't help a butterfly out of a cocoon. They'll never fly, have to strengthen it. But even if it isn't, even if you don't want that long, difficult labor process, you could expedite it by just choosing and going for it because the voices they're really interesting what they do. And everybody, I think, has a slightly different experience. Although they yell a lot when you're on that precipice. And when you jump off, sometimes they yell some more. Sometimes it's surprising. Because when you start to fly, it's like you are flying above them. Waving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And realizing, oh, I have not been struck by lightning. I haven't plummeted to my death. Like... Okay, what's the next step? Because I think I've been given permission to take it. Oh, yeah. And the beauty is that the, the blueprint is built in. What we want is for us. What we choose is the right choice for us when we come from that deepest level. It's there. We will never stop having desires to be fulfilled. That's baked into the human being. That's why we're even having this discussion, because if we could just go, okay, I accept a life filled with vicarious trauma, compassion, fatigue, burnout, and denial, and I'm cool with it. If that could really be accepted, then we wouldn't need this podcast. It it can't be, because that's not why we came here. Exactly. And all those conditions you name, thank you for naming them separately, because they are separate things. Mm-hmm. They feel terrible. (laughs) They're conditions to do something about. If we were as a species designed to have those experiences and be okay with it, they would feel a lot better. And they wouldn't have names like compassion fatigue and vicarious traumatization. Absolutely. Well, Megan, I would love to hear some more about where people can find you, what what you're doing, what you offer, any of that. Sure. The best place to find me is where I'm parked on the internet. So my website, which is my name. So just meganvanmeter.com. No fancy spellings. M-E-G-A-N-B-A-N-M-E-T-E-R.com. And from there, they can kind of get a load of what I'm about, what my vibe is. The website is undergoing some transformation right now. It's kind of just been helping professionals. And now I'm putting up some specialty pages about more of the emotional experiences that could go along with being a helping professional, the anxiety and overwhelm, um, stress and burnout, that sort of thing, as well as creativity, just for people who've fallen out of, they, they know they used to have it, but now they feel unfulfilled and they, they're looking at life in a unidimensional way. And they want to get their creativity back, their creative mental activity. And then people looking for wellness and resilience who are like, I'm not, 
I don't have depression and anxiety, but I, I'm on this spiritual quest and I feel hungry and something's missing and I, I haven't found it yet. Like, can I create it? So I'm creating pages for those people, but you know, I've got the FAQs page and there's a contact page. I also have a LinkedIn profile, which is again, my name. Well, I will put those in the show notes so that it's an easy click. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Any parting words? I want the people who are listening to know that if you are experiencing burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious traumatization, or secondary traumatic stress, that it is not your fault. Mm. Megan. That's powerful. I feel like I felt a cry welling up in me for, I just could see the sea of people. Thank you. You're welcome. It's time to stop blaming ourselves and start blessing ourselves. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Erin. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution. 